Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Run like a girl, throw like a girl, fight like a girl. This like a girl ad campaign actually aired ironically during the Super Bowl a few years ago, advertising for female hygiene products, nonetheless. (laughs) But it struck a chord with our culture. It did. Mainly because of its female empowerment message. Now, my wife and I, we have three girls, and it struck a chord with me for a different reason, I think a deeper reason, a more biblical reason. I want my girls to grow up to be women of courage, women who are on mission with God, fighting a different kind of battle. We're living in a culture, you know this, that is so confused about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And I've been thinking, what's our response to our culture? And what's our response to our kids? We can't just swim along with the rest of the culture saying there's no difference between a man and a woman. You can choose your own identity, whether you want to be a man or whether you want to be a woman or whatever you want to be. We can't be swept up into the culture of the day, nor can we, on the other side of things, succumb to the pressures of the Christian culture to somehow suppress women, to be scared of women and their gifts, And you just paint kind of this caricature of the ideal Christian woman as the the quiet one who stays at home baking chocolate chip cookies for her family. Not that there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. We're in a series called Supernatural Courage. And I intentionally chose five men and five women for a reason. Because contrary to what some may think, The Bible doesn't suppress women, actually releases women and empowers women to lead and to serve in their God-given calling. To say it another way, the Bible paints a compelling picture of what it means to fight like a girl. And so let's look at the story of Deborah today found in the book of Judges. If you're not there already, Judges chapter 4. I said this last service, um, I'll say it a different way, Sonia nailed it with all those names. <laughs> that was difficult to get through. Um, thank you, Sonia. Judges chapter 4, uh, this story takes place when God's people were at war. And we're not at war, but we are facing a spiritual battle unparalleled to any other time. And my hope, as men and women, is that we would flourish, and we would fight together in the mission God has given us for the glory of Jesus. And so let's summarize the story. Look back with me at verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. 
Again, the author is emphasizing that this has been the pattern of the nation of Israel. They're in a cycle. And maybe if you've read through the book of Judges, you've seen this before, but here's a diagram to help you out. And so over and over again, this has been the the cycle of the people of Israel. God has been so good to them, and yet they've rebelled against him. They've forgotten him. And so God, in his love and mercy, disciplines them. He disciplines them for their good, to test them in their faith so that they might return back to him in repentance, to cry out to him. And then God, in his grace, sends a deliverer, a a judge. He raises up a judge in the book of Judges who is going to deliver the people of God. And yet, over time, they begin to slip back into sin again. And so the cycle continues on and on. This is a picture of our own hearts. So prone to sin, prone to wander, we need to repent, to come back to the Lord. And he has raised up a deliverer, as we'll see. His name is Jesus. But in this story, as God's people are experiencing this conflict because of their sin, a note in verse 2, this, this Jabin, this king of Canaan, is reigning in Hazar, and the commander of his army was Sisera. Now, in verse 3, it says, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had, that Sisera, had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years, so 20 years of oppression from this evil king under the command of Sisera with 900 chariots. Chariots were the ancient equivalent to tanks today, strong and swift. They were just mowing over God's people, and so they were suffering, and finally they cried out for help. What does God do? He raises up a deliverer. Her name, her name is Deborah. In verse 4 and verse 5, we meet Deborah. It says she's a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, who was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And so we meet Deborah. Deborah is called a prophetess, which means she spoke on behalf of God's people. She would speak the very word of God to the people of God. She was also a judge, There were 12 judges. She was the fourth and the only female judge. So she would often be sought out for, for for counsel, for wisdom, when it came to judicial decisions. She was one who also led the people administratively in times of battle. And so Deborah was a prophetess, a judge. She was a leader. And we see in verse 6 that she sent and she summoned for Barak. Look at verse 6 here, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Now notice Barak's response. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So here he is, Barak, the commander of the Israelite army, a strong man, no doubt, and yet he's a little apprehensive about going and facing this huge 
army under Sisera. He's reluctant. He hesitates. He needs assurance. So Deborah says to him in verse 9, she says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. She is prophesying here that in the end, the honor would go to a woman. And we have to wait to see what will happen. In verse 14, she encourages Barak to rise up on Mount Tabor and go. And Deborah's coming with her into battle. So verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? And so Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And we see in the following verses that the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army, and they all fell by the edge of the sword. We see how that happened in chapter 5, verse 21, the torrent Kishon, that's the river around this mountain, swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. And so what God did is he sent a rainstorm in the middle of a dry season. He did a miracle here, so much so that these tanks, you can just picture them being stuck in the mud. They were rendered uh, useless. And so God brought the victory to his people. And yet, there is one who escaped Sisera, verse 17, says, But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazar and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me and do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. And so she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And so he died. Quite a smashing story, right? The piercing ending. But what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this story, from this story of these two strong women? To make it more personal for you women, I ask this question. How do you fight like a girl? How do you fight like a girl biblically? Let me give you five ways that we see here in this story. Number one, if you've been called to lead, lead. If you've been called to lead, lead. Sometimes we forget, don't we, that women have access to all the same spiritual gifts as men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 6, Paul writes this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So women, you have the same or access to the same spiritual gifts as men. These gifts are to be used differently while respecting God's order. But nevertheless, we shouldn't buy into the myth that women should just be making bars and sending cards. Don't want to minimize the gift of helps, the gift of hospitality, that's, that's huge. But I also don't want to minimize that 
oftentimes women have other gifts, gifts of teaching, gifts of leading, gifts of evangelism. And the Bible wants to say, yes, those gifts are available to both men and women, used differently in the context of the church. But we can clearly see from this story that Deborah, she's a leader. No doubt she's a very wise leader, a prophet of God's people. She's, she's filled with courage as the deliverer that God chose and gave her this gifting. She spoke words of wisdom and faith to others. And I just want to say, we need more Deborahs in the church. We need more Deborahs in families and in, in our community. We need more Deborahs. Women who are in the word individually, and with others in community here at Oak Hill Church. And we need women who are humbly and courageously leading out of their gifting, which, by the way, is not just a subjective calling. Oh, I've got the gift of leadership. God told me. Whenever you're called to do something, God typically, almost always, affirms it by the body, right? in an objective way. When I was called to preach, I just didn't go off on my own and just start preaching. I asked and sought out the wisdom of others who gave me the counsel, amen. That's a gift of yours. You need to use it. So here we see here in this text that Deborah has been called by God, gifted by God, and women, perhaps you are called and gifted by God with a unique spiritual gift to use and seek out the affirmation of your leaders. By the way, good leaders are always first good followers. So number one, if you've been called to lead, lead. Number two, be secure in the role that you've been given. Be secure in the role that you've been given. God not only created us equally, he created us uniquely, right? This is all the way back in Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Note that ever since the beginning of creation, we were created equally with dignity and value. And yet, we were created uniquely, male and female. God created us. We were different by design. And when we deny those differences, everything falls apart. But when we embrace those differences, everything begins to flourish. Deborah was secure in her role. She didn't try to usurp male leadership. She wasn't seeking after the glory, wasn't trying to take over. In verse six, we see that she was the mouthpiece to move Barak into battle. And yet she didn't lead the army. She says to Barak, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? You are the one to lead the army. I'm just the mouthpiece. So she encouraged and affirmed male leadership. And notice in verse 4, she's called the wife of Lapidoth. I think that's there to indicate that even though she was a prophetess, and a judge as a leader of God's people, she also has an identity in a home led by her husband. Side note, Lapidoth must have been an extremely secure man to have a wife like Deborah. And we need to, as men, to release our wives and encourage them in their gifting men. 
especially if you have a, a wife who's a strong leader, encourage, fan into flame her gifting, support her, platform her. In the New Testament, we also see in the church how this plays out and this clarity in men's and women's roles. In 1 Timothy 2, 12 to 13, is a, is a controversial passage, but nonetheless, we don't take our cues from culture, but from the word of God. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, notice here in this passage, he's speaking about the whole idea of the preaching and the teaching ministry from elders. He's going to be talking about that in chapter 3. So this represents authority in the church, the word of God spoken by men of God who are called by God as, as elders. The reason why that's the case, verse 13, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And so it's rooted in creation. This is, this is God's good purposes. We are equals, but we have different roles to play. And men and women, and we need to work together, right, together in this. Does this stifle women from their gifts? No. I pray that it would free us. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 2, goes on to talk about elders. And notice one of the qualifications here is the husband of one wife and able to teach. These are overseers, these are shepherds, these are pastors, they're synonymous terms in the New Testament. Some of you might say then, well, what, where's the place of a woman who has the gift of leadership in teaching? I love what Tim Keller says. He puts it this way. God forbids one, just one kind of role in the church to women, as he did in Israel. By the way, in Israel, women could not be priests, just one. So we must not jump to forbidding all teaching and tasks to women. And we shouldn't assert that all sorts of specific tasks are off limits. It is better to say that women can do everything that a man who isn't an elder can do. I agree with that. And so, number one, how do you fight like a girl? If you've been called to lead, lead. Secondly, be secure in the role that you've been given. Number three, Instill and inspire confidence in God. Instill and inspire confidence in God. Think about Barak's response to Deborah in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go into battle. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, I have to admit, at first glance, Barak sounds like a wimp, doesn't he here? Right? I mean, he seems weak. He seems fearful. Here he's telling Deborah, if you'll come with me, right, <laughs> then I'll go. Um, that's that's kind of cowardly, reluctant, and passive. And if we're honest as men, sometimes we can identify with Barak in this, right? I mean, when we're called to lead spiritually in the home, in the church, sometimes we get a little bit reluctant to do that, a little bit apprehensive. We're hesitant to do so. We shrink back in fear, and think about what Barak is being called to do here. Man, he's being called to lead the Israelite army into a battle where they're going to be outnumbered and outmatched, ill-equipped to fight against Sisera and his army of 900 tanks. So this seems overwhelming to him, seems rather daunting for him. And understand this, Barak had to be a tough guy. I mean, he was called to be the commander of the Israelite army. Surely he's a leader. So why the wimpy response, Barak? Let me suggest that Barak represents not just men, but all of us 
in our weakness. Underneath our strong exterior, we often feel defeated and discouraged and alone, afraid. So when God calls us to big things, we feel weak and we need reassurance, don't we? In Barak's case, he needed reassurance of God's presence and Deborah had been trying to tell him that all along in verse Six, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Verse seven, speaking of God, he says, I will give him into your hand. God will give them into your hand, Barak. Verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, Up, rise up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? That's that's instilling confidence, right, and courage in God. He's bigger. We saw last week, be strong and courageous. God is with you. But Barak needed more. He needed the reassurance of Deborah's presence. I think Deborah represented as a prophetess, as the judge, the very presence of God with Barak in battle. So perhaps this wasn't just Barak being wimpy, it was Barak showing humility. It was wise to seek out the wisdom from a woman. As I was preparing for this week's message, I decided to contact a few godly women, one of which is my wife, and get their perspective, and I typically do ask my wife um, some things, but... I found it really helpful to bounce some things off of some godly, wise women in our church. Guys, it was a rare thing in ancient times to do this, and even today, men, we can still struggle with asking women for help, in particular when it comes to directions, right? Uh, We don't want to ask that question. But let me be clear We're not sure if Barak had a lack of faith here, but surely there's reason why in verse 9 that the honor will not go to a man, but is going to come to a woman. And yet, I find it shocking in Hebrews chapter 11 that Barak is actually commended for his faith. Look at what it says in chapter 11 in this hall of faith, so to speak, these heroes and heroines of the faith. What more shall we say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Gideon. I just think it's crazy that he, he's there in that list. Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Notice this phrase, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So here's a man, Barak. Not afraid to ask for help. He didn't have faith in his faith. He had faith in God. And in his weakness, he was made strong. This also proves that behind every good man is a good woman. And I was told this week, behind every good woman is a good cup of coffee. Perhaps. We see this in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 18, remember this story of uh, Priscilla and Aquila? So he, Apollos, who was known as a preacher and a great leader, an orator, 
began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla, notice she's listed first, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So what an amazing thing here is that this gifted leader needed actually the help and counsel from Priscilla and her husband Aquila. I think of, think of my wife. Um, I put this in my notes. I didn't want to get emotional when I started talking about this, but um, she is in so many ways to me um, a Deborah at times. She instills in me courage and confidence in God. Um, she has strength in the word of God, knowing that God is sovereign. In, in Proverbs 31, there's this woman says, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. You know why? Because she trusts in a sovereign God. And that's my wife. I love her for that, and such an encouragement to me. Um, women, I want you to, to know that one of the reasons why you are married to your husband is to instill and inspire courage and confidence in God, in him. To be his God-given helper, he needs that reassurance. He can often fear others. Um, he can often be apprehensive. And so stand by him and encourage him. And if you're not married today, God has a mission for you, women, um, to instill courage in others. I look at the lives of many of you out here and you're doing that. Thank you. Some of you have husbands who are not walking with Jesus and there's a word for you in 1 Peter, just an encouragement to you. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your life. So don't think you've got to come down on your husband and publicly humiliate him. No. Love him. Over time, pray for him. Live a life according to the gospel and watch as God works. And so how do you fight like a girl? You inspire, you instill confidence in God, fourthly. Don't sit on the sidelines, but get in the game. Don't sit on the sidelines, but get in the game. Look at verse 21 about Jael. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. She went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And so he died. And I asked myself the question this week, I'll ask it to you, what can we possibly learn from a woman who drives a tent peg into the head of a sleeping man? What can we learn? I had one, I'll just tell who it was. It was Brenda Pyle who came up to me after the service. Some of you remember Dennis. Here's what she said. Dennis used to say, well, JL, uh, she was the first woman driver. <laughs> Some of you just got that. Here's what we can learn. First off, JL was just a housewife. She was a simple woman. By the way, she was a non-Israelite. Just like Rahab, she was a foreigner, and God wanted her and used her. So let's remember that. God looks sometimes for the outsider and calls the outsider and loves the outsider. 
She was a strong woman, no doubt, of shrewd courage who simply stepped into the battle and made herself available to God. That's the first question I have. Are you making yourself available to God? It's not just your ability, but your availability. Secondly, she probably had a very monotonous life, even perhaps a meaningless life at times. But in those days, the wife of a nomad, she would be in charge of setting up the tents as they would travel. And so no doubt she was familiar with tent pegs, just like a normal household item for her. This was not a weapon, but a household item. And yet God used her as an ordinary housewife with an ordinary household item to do something rather extraordinary. She was available and willing to be used of God, wasn't afraid to jump in, and in so doing, fulfilled Deborah's prophecy back in verse 9. And so, J.L. fought like a girl, and she was honored. Women, I want you to know that we value you. We, as your pastors and leaders, want you to know that you're not an afterthought in this battle that we are facing. Children's ministry, women's ministry, some may think, well, that's nice, but it's not necessary. That's a lie. It is absolutely necessary. We need you. You are allies with us in this fight. We need you. We can't afford for you or anyone to sit on the sidelines. I know there are different seasons of life, but... We can't afford to sit on the sidelines. We need to get in the game. We need your courage. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your gifts. In chapter 5, Deborah and Barak co-write and actually co-sing a song together. That's just amazing. And much of that song is devoted to commend those who have stepped up in the battle. In chapter 5, verse 2, what it says, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Verse 9 My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offer themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. So he's commending those who stepped into the battle with with courage. On the opposite end, he's he's actually condemning those and cursing those who sat on the sidelines. Chapter 5, verse 17, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher just sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Comfortable, right? Verse 23, curse Meraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So I want to ask you a question. Are you in the fight? We're facing a spiritual battle. It's very real. Ephesians 6, 12 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against these powers over the present day darkness, these evil spiritual forces, and we need you in this battle. Some of you are content to just sit on the sidelines as spectators, to stay back and be comfortable, but there's a spiritual battle going on, and we need you. We need your time and your your talents and your, your treasures. We need you and your gifts. And let's remember, men and women, we're in this together. We're not competing against one another. This is not a civil war. We're not competing against one another. We're complementing one another, right? For the glory of Christ. And so we are allies, co-laborers in the fight of faith. So don't sit on the sidelines. Get in the game. Fifth and finally, how do you fight like a girl? 
rejoice. Rejoice in the one who has defeated all your enemies. Rejoice in the one who has defeated all your enemies. Judges is all about this cycle of sin and this need for a deliverer, an ultimate deliverer. J.L. is a pointer to Jesus. And I love how Deborah ends her song in this way in chapter 5. So may all your enemies perish. This is the end of this song. May all your enemies perish, all of them, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. Deborah looks ahead to another deliverer who would destroy all of our greatest enemies, one who would be pierced by a tent peg, if you will, in his hands and in his feet, taking all of that that we deserve for our sin because we were enemies of God. And God took our place by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus stepped into the battle on our behalf. And I love to think of this at the end here of Deborah and Barak. They're just singing this song together. Man, they wrote the song, they're singing the song, and they're singing about Jael. But one day, we're gonna join them in glory and we're not going to sing about J.L. crushing Sisera's head. We're going to sing about Jesus crushing Satan's head. And we will sing about this victory forever and ever. And until that day comes, guys, we've got to fight together in the mission that God has given us for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story. And we're humbled that we get to be a part of building your kingdom. I pray that we would not sit on the sidelines. That as men and women, we would rise up and we would flourish together in our differences. We'd complement one another and we would fight together in the mission that you've given to us. A mission of love to a culture that so badly needs it. A culture that's so confused what it means to be a man and a woman and what it means to have a true hope. Father, we pray that we might go in your strength and in your courage. In Christ's name we pray, amen.